Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have the great pleasure of having Dana Anderson with me, who is the former Chief Marketing Officer of Mondelez and who is now the Chief Transformation Officer of MediaLink. Dana, hi, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. We're old pals, and now we actually get to do this together. I know. Live. I'm so excited <laughs> live, and I'm so happy to be sitting with you yeah. here in New York in your office. What a beautiful day it is outside. Totally unprepared for 80-degree weather. Almost, uh, well, we are October yeah. now. But I am so excited. We have so much to talk about today. But first, why don't you share with me what this role is at MediaLink, what you're doing and what MediaLink does and how it comes together. Oh, great. Well, I've always loved Michael Kasson because, as, as I say, he's happy every day of his life. And there is something to be said to work with a person who has that kind of view of the world. But I think more importantly, you know, I started out as a writer, copywriter, and then I moved into account management, and then I moved into planning and into agency management, and then I went to the client side for 10 years. And if there was ever a point in my life where I was probably better scheduled or better set to help advise clients, it would be now, because you can really understand both sides. And I find that it's hard for agencies and clients to understand one another closely. So you can give the best advice and the most generous and kind advice to both sides so they can come together in the best way. And you can also help brands be stronger or articulate themselves better, which is always fun. But I think the reason that, for me, it was also the best fun that I had at work was when we were trying to do something different whether it was trying to get people to adopt digital behavior or trying to get people to learn how to work with agencies in a different way. So we did lots of pilots, and we loved them. And it really taught me that when in times of transformation, there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat, and you ought to really think about ways that make people happy and have a little fun. There's so much change. I mean, I feel embarrassed even saying it because it's about a decade long. But it has huge fatigue on employees. Mm -hmm. And you can see it in engagement scores. It's just like one more memo is going to come out and we're going to change the way we do our travel expenses. And one more memo is going to come out and we're going to change the way people get tired. But the change isn't going to stop. Therefore, 
to be able to help clients make that change uh, with their teams, but making it in a way that people walk away and feel gratified and rewarded for it is really a fun thing to do. Wow. Okay. So there's so many things in that I want to talk to you about. Before we jump into the change, because let's talk about change and let's talk about what you see is most important and how people create relationships in today's environment. But let's talk about where you just came from, which was Mondelez. Now, this is going back almost a year ago, right? Now, a year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah. And that was a big change. You were CMO at Mondelez, Mm -hmm. and you decided to come take this on. Tell me about that moment. Like, what was the opportunity? What did you want to do? When I look back at my time on Mondelez, and I told this to Irene on the day that my final day, that I was so blessed to be there because I learned so much in that decade that gave me a perspective and appreciation for discipline and all sorts of things. And when you come to a smaller company like this, though we're part of a central, so there is kind of a holding company, it's a little more freewheeling. It's a little more, (laughs) you have a little more wind in your hair. And in the beginning, it was a little, (laughs) it made me nervous (laughs) because I'm like, wait, isn't anybody going to watch this? And they're like, no, go right ahead. Um, So there is a freedom to it that's kind of fun. I might have been ready for it, but now that I'm here, I look back and appreciate a lot of the things that I learned when I was there. It was just time, I think, for me. It was just time for a different thing. Yeah, I could just picture you like driving around with a convertible with the wind in your hair and scarf blowing yeah. in the wind. You know. My little tiny hairs, yes. <laughs> I love it. So at Mondelez then, what were some of your key takeaways from your time there? Something that you can share as a great learning in your role as you evolved into the CMO. We had a lot to do when we first arrived because Irene had a list of seven brands that she wanted the advertising to change almost immediately. And so it was a very serious, direct plan of attack. And the one thing we did was get a little swagger. Mm-hmm. Like we'd call the brands up and go, okay, you're on the list, sweetie pie. <laughs> and I knew most of these people because I had worked with them from the other side, on the agency side. And it's a little uncomfortable if you're in the house and Irene doesn't like your work or any CEO doesn't like your work. You don't like that. But she was very brave in the way that she said, you don't have to keep any of the rules. You don't have to stay in the lanes. And at first we would tell our current agencies, and this was all our own fault, mm-hmm. we wanted better work. But we had you know, beat them with a rubber hose for so long that they did not believe us. They really didn't. And when we called agencies that had very creative reputations, they didn't want to go out with us. (laughs) So we created this thing called Project Spark where we called five agencies. All of them you would know today, Droga 5, Wyden Kennedy, terrific agencies. And it took little tiny brands that had no agency relationship but had like $3 million to spend. Mm -hmm. We briefed the teams. We had a whole day of being on a creative bus. We drove all over and met interesting people and got them to release their minds. We had the president of their divisions come down and say, don't bring me back a coupon. I really want you to shoot the lock off. We had planners that on our side that were with each one. We gave them eight weeks. We went on a date. We said, it's not going to be public. It's not going to be permanent. All I want to do is see the strategy after week two, and then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. We made our folks only have one round of, because they would revise it all day long. Yeah. We learned so much. We had some really groundbreaking creative droga five did the work that caused the phone to ring it was great and irene said i'm not picking it up i'm proud of what we did and i'm going to stand by the work and for i would say at least a decade we worked continued to work with those agencies and it taught us all something about the power of it when it really became unlocked was doing the mac and cheese work with crispin 
And that was a big budget campaign, so a lot of people saw it. And they were taking work to the board to show them. And we were performing on another level, and it was fun. They made a big noodle that was put at, like at Lambeau Field, and it was heated, <laughs> and people would propose to one another, buy it, and send pictures. I mean, it was just... it got into culture and it got to be exciting, people started having fun being a marketer again. And once that scratch starts going, everybody starts itching. And so we started, it was like a little dominoes. Having great work was what you wanted to do there and you couldn't have asked for anything better. So sometimes you have to sneak it in and have a little swagger and have fun. I think past that big point was to think big and not to think too small. I mean, to do a 3D printed Oreo at South by Southwest... That's like thinking big. Mm -hmm. And it has a big impact. It made our marketers feel proud to be there. And it's one thing I learned from Bon and Bow. Mm. Of all the things, and each one of the people on my team gave me a different gift, I think, as, uh, and his was Think Big. Yeah, actually, oh, wow, I just saw him last week at Brand Week. So always full of ideas, that one there. All ideas, yeah. Now it's coming back to the top. Let's, let's talk about how you help coach than both brands and agencies, how to to essentially live what you just outlined as yeah. a role model for great creativity yeah. and great product. Usually, when we're called, it's not it's not a happy time, mm-hmm. and there's usually time pressures. Clients have things that they have to do within their time frame, mm-hmm. or your personal bonuses impacted. So you want to do your deliverable and your to-do list. And we've had a lot of first-time CMOS who come on the particularly if they're from a background that's different. And the job is very complex. It has its horizontal in its breadth. Stephen DiOrio said it would make a hedge fund manager cry in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of demands. People grab your calendar. It's like Tetris. You, I mean, you think you want time to play. It's like, no, we took all your time for today. And to understand that pressure and help them articulate mm-hmm. how to go forward. With a couple of people, we've done a whole year of transformation because they're going into orgs that are backwards and haven't mm-hmm. been modern. They don't have good partners. They don't have any strategic way. Some have no marketing plan whatsoever. <laughs> I was doing a facilitation, and I said, well, where would this information be? Like, this would be in your marketing plan. And they looked at me, and I go, no, it would be in your marketing plan. You're like your sales goal. And they go, oh, we don't have one. And I go, oh, my. Well, I guess we should write one this year, shouldn't we? And then to progress to a growth plan and help them understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. But what we really do is give that CMO an incredible first year so that at the end of it, yeah. they were be able to put things on the board, get the organization going, and then that really preps them for the next year to lap it up. So that is great fun. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will have people missing in their org. And for one client, we did 12 brands both their premise and their strategy in six months. Wow. With each with their own teams and their agencies. It really was fun. Each group kind of took it on their own, you know. Some were more successful than others. But what really pleased me was at Halloween, in this particular company, teams dressed up as the strategy pieces. (laughs) I know. And you're like, that's great, because... That's when it's really <laughs> sunk in, you know? Yeah. It's really nice. It's really rewarding. It sounds like a ton of fun. And you kind of have the best of both worlds because you can be helpful, like you said earlier, to both sides. When we were talking a few months ago, you used a term with me that has never left. And it, that happens often when I talk to you. There's something you say that never leaves me. 
And in this case, you said, Nadine, it's really important that as a CMO, you, whether you're a new CMO or an ongoing CMO, is that you either know how to set your table or you know how to continue uh, to address yes, who's yes. at the table right. to make sure you're set up right. the best for success. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this, this comes from a, a lot of work and interviews and a presentation that I did at CAM for the mm-hmm. CMO Accelerators. The impact of the consulting companies coming in and, and having such a large impact on even the top 10 ad mm-hmm. agency list, and they're huge. They're mm-hmm. like $5 million a piece. Billion, rather, mm-hmm. each in terms of their billing. I think it's amazing that we don't have anybody who solves all the problems for mm-hmm. clients, and it's just not possible. We have agencies that are still trying to transition into things like content, into mobile, into areas that are beyond where they normally work and feel comfortable. We have media agencies who are trying to figure out their role in the future, mm-hmm. and they kind of want to become marketers. We have people who do nothing but make content, and some people are so great at it that you just sit back and say, boy, would I love to play with you on my team. The importance of design Mm -hmm. is elevating. Understanding that within a retail context, like the big D all the way through, Mm -hmm. is fascinating. And you realize that you need more than one player. I think so. I, mm-hmm. I was never able to do this with just one. So we started to just address it more overtly. And before I left Mondelez, we did some work on a new brand, and we decided we were going to make a kitchen table. And the reason we called it a kitchen table was it was meant to be family. We interviewed agencies who had to work in integrated ways with others, and they always feel like their territory is being stomped on, that clients are willing to just pass work over. Like if you show up in the middle of the night and you're not supposed to be doing design, but you decided to do it anyway (laughs) and made a presentation, that that's really not the way the table is set. But I will tell you, there's a part of this. Rebecca Messina and I were talking about this. You know, She's the new CMO at Uber, and we were talking about the power of the table to each do what they do in the safety of what they do, but for all of them to lift up together. It gives me, I have a little goose flush talking about working up together at a higher level on behalf of the brand. Mm -hmm. And when you can make that doing, when they become a blended family, which is your job to do. As the CMO, that's your job, to know the brand, to make the family, to make it a safe place for them to be the most creative that they can be. And that's what the kitchen table's about. I love it. So how does one start this process? Like if, if I'm a new CMO going into a mm-hmm. role and the first 100 days are critical, right. right? This is when you actually start figuring out who gets a seat and what kind of people you need at the table, is yes. it, right? How do you start that process? Sometimes there are legacy documents that can help you. And mm-hmm. many times when new CMOs come in, there's already a lot of <laughs> there's already a lot of verbal sharing from the boss and below where people have mm-hmm. opinions mm-hmm. about things. But A real non-emotional way to do it is to look at the statement of work for the entire year. Okay. And to realize how many people do you want to play in and what's important to you. We did an agency search for a CMO because it was clear when he came. The president said, this is one of the first things I want you to do. Okay. And we decided we were going to be as innovative in this as we were anything else. And so I said, what is most important to you? Give me three or four questions. Mm -hmm. And we called the agencies and we said, you don't have to do an RFP. Nobody reads them anyway. Right. (laughs) We just have four questions for you. You should not stress on these. They should be in your new business docs. No more than 12 pages, really. At presentation. Just easy to read. Mm -hmm. And then we want to have dinner with you 
to get to know one another. So you can tell right away that four questions are perfect because you can get a sense of who knows and who doesn't know. And they're speaking to the issues most important to the CMO. Smart. Then when you get to the engagement where you're sitting around a dinner table talking, you do kind of get a chemistry. You see who knows one another and which teams like one another and which ones don't or people that you don't think you can go with. Then we move to a real live assignment. And Mm -hmm. after it was all over, it's been a year since this example, Mm -hmm. and their convention was last week, and the head creative director wrote me, and he said, I'm sitting here looking at all the work that we made, which was the same work that we pitched in a process that made it so much better. Mm. And for me, then we've won. If the client works and the creative people are saying this, or the agencies are going, this is fresher, cleaner, better for me, mm-hmm. then everybody's happy. Yeah. So it's kind of, see, I still get a little goosebumps. I, do, I get them yeah. right now, too. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so... God, I'm dying to ask you a specific question. I'm going to hold it. But let me just ask you this. What about a CMO who is already in their role? Yes. And they're having, there are a lot of challenges right yeah. now between brands and, and agencies in, I would say, communication yes. and expectations. Um, how do you consult them? Oh, there's always just plain old therapy, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> where you can. Dana's yes. couch. <laughs> You can go talk to everybody and kind of figure out what's going on. And there are. It's like a bad marriage. You know, things are not, he didn't mean that. When she said that, he didn't mean that. And usually there are people at fault. When I was on the client side and I would talk to agencies, clients decide about six months before they fire you that they're going to fire you Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's a lot to go through. It's a very big process. They First, they look over all the contracts to see what's there, how much work is in the in-between. They make sure and get all their documents beforehand. They start having dreams about who they're (laughs) going to talk to. I mean, they talk to the lawyer. It's a big deal. And that's why if your antenna is short and you don't pick that up, Mm -hmm. usually by the time the decision made, it's so hard to come back for incumbents. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine just called and fired an agency, a beloved agency that hadn't performed for her for a year. And the president said, well, I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. And you have to go, aren't you? Because why wouldn't you have done something about it then? Um, So I I would say for both sides to be right out there and say, how am I doing all the time? I would Mm -hmm. be there all the time. I was surprised how few agencies would call to meet with me. Mm -hmm. And nobody called the CEO. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody did. Mm -hmm. One, because you can't get in there very much often Mm -hmm. anymore. And because those agendas are different with bigger companies, there's just so much more. But people would just stay back. So I think you have to kind of get it together. Some people need to break up. Mm -hmm. You just do. I've also been counseling agencies, a sweet one I just did, where they're the nicest people, and we did this one. I just used the same brand tools that we use with other people, and I had them talk about where they think they are mm-hmm. and what, as an individual. So I laid them out for them all, and they go, yeah, those are really good. And I go, now, let's go to talk about what I think you need to do. And they looked at the new one, and they liked it just as much. And the only difference for this particular team is all of their original statements were inward. All the new ones were outward to the clients. Oh. And it's a huge shift. It's a simple shift, but it's a huge one. They were a team that felt that getting the right answer was most important. And they forgot how much of a seduction it is. Being desired as a team, being somebody you want to go with, as opposed to just being right. I mean, they're old axioms of new business. 
but you learn them the hard way. I mean, it's tough lessons. Absolutely. Okay, so this brings us to then the question that I'm dying to ask you about. So I love what you've shared already because the relationship and the trust Mm -hmm. fuels the creativity and the innovation. But given how challenging it is right now in the space, because the space of content and media, because everything's changing, consumers are demanding that there's less and less advertising, they're they're demanding more engaging content, more organic and real content, which can be co-created and some cool things happening. Like, Mm -hmm. What do you think is happening right now and where we're going in terms of the kinds of conversations that CMOs and and agencies need to be having? Okay, this is time for me to name my favorite book for the week. Okay. Uh, I'm reading this book called Friction, Passion, Brands, and the Age of Disruption by Jeff Rosenblum and Jordan Berg. And they're addressing this exactly. They start out with an example of a manufacturer of pitons that go into the, when you're a mountain climber, you put these little pegs in so you can, mm-hmm. I say this like I have no idea what a mountain climber do, but this, <laughs> this is the story. And so the guy who created it and created this very successful business is climbing a mountain one day and he sees all these holes and he realizes his own product mm-hmm. made the holes in the mountain. The thing he wants to climb and enjoy, he's actually making a problem with. And this is the analogy they're using for right now, Mm -hmm. that categories and brands create friction, unnecessary friction between them and their consumers. Dunkin' Donuts used to have a foam coffee cup, and now they have a paper cup, and that foam coffee cup was a point of friction. I would say, uh, and Tony Weissman and I have talked about this, the first year he spent a lot of time reducing friction. Mm -hmm. And that makes the bonds between brands and consumers better. The book says, forget about reach and frequency, think about reach and empathy. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to put that first and become committed to reducing friction, the the ways in which you want to manifest that to a brand and a consumer change. He even discusses the idea that is advertising in and of itself a form of interruption and friction, which tells you the power of content Mm -hmm. that doesn't have that same stop, let me interrupt you and talk to you right now, but has ways of surrounding you and kind of coming through like water, (laughs) soaping up into a towel where you don't feel so much that it is as much of an intrusion. And I'm only three quarters through the book. It's sitting here open in front of us, and I'm underlining everything. And I realize it's a metaphor. It's just a way to think about your job. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of put that lens over Mm -hmm. it, you begin or you have the freedom at looking at your choices, whether you're an agency president or a copywriter or a brand manager or a CMO, to look through that light and say, am I making the most of this opportunity that I have? And am I keeping my promise Mm -hmm. of being a great brand? So this then leads to opportunities to tell stories in different ways. Yes, I think so, incredibly. And probably in ways we haven't even figured out yet. We're so used to, and for years, uh, the 32nd or 15 now element, and to think that there are so many other ways is really... I think freeing. I mean, we were Mm -hmm. talking about this, you and I, before we started to record. In a way, it's the best of times and the worst of times. And I prefer to see the best of times because the opportunity for creativity, for experimentation, for innovation, for new partners coming in. Is it harder for marketers? Yes. Your learning agility has to be really high. And there are things 
like content that monetize differently than ad funds. And so as organizations, we need to be a little bit more patient Mm -hmm. with our CMOs and understand the length of time that we have to impact brands and impact consumers. Mm -hmm. Impact's not even the right word. It's the wrong word. It's enroll, engage, communicate. Exactly. Dialogue versus monologue. You know, so it's really interesting. Seven years ago or more, I wrote the solution guide for CMOs for Omnichannel Personalization. This is back when I was customer-centricity consultant. We were talking about it then, you know, and there were the same brands that we highlighted then are the same brands that consistently do it well today still. Right. And it's this ability to have a true two-way dialogue, not just a monologue. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a completely different game. And I remember when you actually shared with me and were kind enough to share it with a number of people, your presentation that you put together for Irene on Mm -hmm. Blurred Lines, you were also talking about the new generation coming up, the Gen Zers, and how they just completely different consumption patterns and what they expect. And proud and loud about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we make a lot of fun of them that they only have a seven-second attention span. And there was this wonderful little video that I showed you that we found out of Asia that said, yeah, let me show you what I can show you in seven seconds. Mm -hmm. And you you look at this little thing piece together and you go, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so instead of fighting what it is to let it be in, you know, it was fascinating. And I suppose Irene and her wisdom... She asked for a presentation on e-commerce that was not about e-commerce, because I'm not an e-commerce specialist, mm-hmm. but it was a planner. And she said, I want to know about it from people, from that perspective. And, and it was a very fun and exciting <laughs> perspective to say, look what is out there and how much this can change the engagement. And since the time that presentation was done, which was in 2015, look how much has changed yeah. already in terms of our mobile phones and how we engage with commerce that way absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely okay so cool well i could talk to you all day about this but i want to switch gears for just a few more minutes that we have here left and talk about you when you first set out in your career you said you were a writer yes how did you think about your career you know was it everything happened very serendipitously or were there choices you made along the way were there aha moments where you said oh I want to go here or I want to go there I wish I could say it was very studied and planned but I don't think it was I grew up poor and my family lived in Kentucky and my father was an evangelical minister and so my view of the world was small Mm. And when I went to high school, I liked writing. And so I lived in Missouri, and there was a journalism school Mm. there, a famous journalism school. So I went there Mm. and ended up really enjoying writing. I thought, well, I'll go do that. My first job was a copywriter. But I didn't like the strategies. And at the time, there weren't even planners. The account people did that. But they would hand the stuff on your plate, and you'd be like, Mm. oh, I can't, ooh. So then I became an account manager. Mm. And then later, I moved to a different agency where there was a big account planning. David Baker was his name. Mm -hmm. He was the worldwide head of planning. He convinced me to become a planner. Mm -hmm. It is the best job on earth. I loved it so much. So I would say a lot of it was just evolving. The key principle for me was two things. Always keep learning. Always, always, always. Because it changes you and it keeps you fresh and you're not that person at the table who's talking about, you know, ought nine, how it was going Mm -hmm. back then. And I think, secondly, I always kind of had a sense when it was time to go. So how do you know that? I don't know. Nina DeSessa always used to say, don't be the last person to leave the party. (laughs) Uh, um, You kind of get the sense. 
I don't know if it's a staleness or just a, you know, when a boat is stalled in the mm-hmm. water, it's like there's no breeze. And you start looking around and thinking, where is the learning? Like, where's the action happening? So for me, that was kind of the way. But I think learning still is fun. Yesterday, I sat on an advisory board, and I got the pleasure of seeing the 21st Century Brands presentation mm. for this client. And it was so delightful. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm sitting here jealous. <laughs> it's so good, and it's so great to see good thinking and crisp thinking that literally I, you know, fanned myself a little bit. And to still have joy in the crafting of a good strategy brings me to work every day. Awesome. Okay, so what tip would you give any professional in marketing today as they're growing in their career, whether it's on the brand side or on the agency side? It might sound a little unconventional, but I would nurture your curiosity and your generosity. Being very agile in terms of learning what's new and having an appetite for it and an interest in a lot of things, not just marketing, really helps bring your full brain and your full self to your clients or your company's problems. And I'm really convinced about the power of generosity. I have met Adam Grant and consider him a friend now, but it was his book on give and take that really changed my mind about what it's like to give to others and how everyone benefits if we can share our generosity. So those would be the two things I would say. I love that. And I love Adam Grant. He keeps threatening to be on CMO Moves. (laughs) Um, And uh, he's welcome anytime. So he's uh, definitely uh, someone to, to watch and listen and learn from. Dan, thank you so much for Absolutely. being with me today. I have one final yes. question because I can't wait to hear the answer to this. So if money were no object, <laughs> talent were no object, yes. and you could just get in that convertible and drive away mm-hmm. or go in your mind or daydream or do anything in the world, what would it be? I think I would love to be a comic. <laughs> Oh, that in itself is funny. It's perfect. Yeah, I love to watch them. I love to think how they come up with it, the way they deliver it, the way we can lose ourselves and just laugh. To, to be able to get a whole room laughing over a series of storylines, I think it's magical. And when I need inspiration, I go and watch comics. I love it. I can totally see you doing that. You have a great way to make people laugh in this. You have to do it. That'll be so fun. (laughs) (laughs) I will totally go to all your shows. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to see and watch what you're going to do next. Great to see you, Nadine. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 